Welcome to Homer Collective. I'm Pat Ward. And I'm Taryn Mao. And today we're talking about porn and porn addiction. In our counseling practices, we often find that a compulsive struggle with pornography can lead to troubling patterns for individuals and deep pain in intimate relationships. The issue, one that's tied to a deep core drive within us and fueled by a million modern access points, is worth slowing down, understanding, and strategizing against. Whether you're struggling yourself, trying to help a loved one overcome some addictive pattern in their life, or if you've had your relationship impacted by a porn addiction that has come into the light, this episode is for you. There's a growing amount of research that demonstrates that a compulsive relationship with porn, one that leaves a person feeling powerless to overcome it, is tied to an increase in anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. Beyond just the mental and emotional impact of chronic porn use, we often see clients struggle with identity and self-worth issues, and then they have a fear that they might not ever overcome the problem. Um, We'll post a link to some articles in the show notes today if you want to dive into the research, but pornography has been shown to impact and captivate people in the same way that other activities um, that affect dopamine levels in the brain actually do. So dopamine is the pleasure chemical in the brain. It shows up when we do something exciting, eat something sugary, or achieve some goal. It reinforces those activities because it gives us um, a good feeling. And so those dopamine-related interactions often involve an emotional low that follows the high as, a dopam- as the dopamine is removed from the synapses in the brain. So that's just a little more of kind of the brain chemistry and how that works. Um, you may not notice it after something like a milkshake because that's kind of a mild stimuli, but a larger release of dopamine often leads to kind of a larger letdown on the other side. So we feel that crash on the other side. And then oftentimes that's actually kind of what motivates us to, to use it again. And that's how the addiction can start. So because porn is tied to a core drive within us, our sex drive, it causes a massive, massive release of dopamine and often causes withdrawal symptoms, such as the emotional issues mentioned above. And then porn actually can become that addiction when that individual finds that the only way to deal with the letdown is to use again and again and again. So um, ultimately, it's dopamine that's kind of paving a powerful pathway in the mind and, and driving that addiction. In my practice, when I work with people who have noticed uh, that they have a compulsive struggle with porn, they they see it as a cycle. Like there are some cyclical effects that come up. And, and even as they try to break that cycle, they get drawn back in. One of the thing that seems to be help, things that seems to be helpful for them to realize is it's actually about three cycles that seem to affect people um, when they struggle with porn. One is uh, it's an emotional cycle. So a lot of times, like most addictions, people struggle when they're in certain emotional space. Sometimes it's when they're feeling isolated, anxious, stressed out, depressed, uh, lonely. Sometimes it's when they're feeling happy or when they're feeling powerful or when they're feeling like they've got a lot of things going for them. Uh, they've somehow integrated using something into those emotional states. And that's what bro- part of what draws them into that cycle. Uh, another cycle that's at play is uh, a neurological cycle, the way that their thought patterns affect them. And so uh, cognitively, it may be um, a habitual way that they evaluate other people. It may be a way that they evaluate how they use their free time and where their threshold for entertainment or boredom 
um, is or when they feel fulfilled. And so there sometimes can be this this habitual um, aspect to a porn struggle that takes them back to there on certain times of the day or certain um, points throughout, um, you know, their just their their everyday life. So it's like a kind of a cognitive cycle. And then the third is the shame cycle. And it's, it's not shame because shame is where we do something dirty and we can't ever get clean again. But we talk a lot about shame and how shame is where we marry our sense of identity and our sense of inadequacy together. And so just like that letdown leaves people feeling um, psychologically drained and psychologically um, in need of something to pick them up, a lot of times people really uh, dislike the fact that they have a problem that's out of control with porn. Uh, They don't like uh, the fact that they aren't strong enough to overcome it. They don't like um, some of the impacts that they're seeing on their core relationships, and they don't like who they are in the midst of that struggle. But the only way to get away from those negative feelings of shame about that is to go back and to use again and kind of numb themselves to it. And so we see all three of those cycles drawing them in uh, over and over again. And so if any of those things sound familiar to you, then that may be evidence that you have a struggle. And um, the key Uh, to any kind of approach to this is to try to cut through and break all three of those cycles at, uh, at the same time. And so uh, when I'm working with people who have struggles with porn issues, I try to help them come up with a plan to break all those cycles at the same time um, over time, and then hopefully um, replace whatever, whatever porn is done in their life, whatever is added to their life, replace it with something much healthier in their relationships in their free time and in their life overall so that they can um, break away from it for good. Yeah. And the thing about shame, shame causes us to want to isolate ourselves, to want to retreat and hide. And the more we do that, like you were saying, the more we can actually get stuck in that addiction. And so I think the first step um, before we really jump in and tell you kind of what you can do is to acknowledge that you actually have a problem yeah. to stop and to say, yeah, that actually does really sound like me, or this is something that I'm actually concerned about, or it has negatively impacted my relationship. I think maybe I have a problem and just saying that, or even sharing that with someone you trust or a counselor actually really can be really freeing and help us break out of that shame cycle. Sure. It can also help us Uh, observe areas of motivation, which breaking away from any struggle is hard work. It's two steps forward, three steps back sometimes, and and we need motivation to push us on. So remembering, um, you know, recognizing that we have a problem and that it's not going to just go away on its own, um, but then also understanding what are we fighting for? Are we fighting so that we can have a healthier relationship uh, with our girlfriend, boyfriend? Are we fighting so that we can have a healthier marriage? Are we fighting so that our spiritual life feels a little less divided? Are we, are we fighting so that we have one more um, weapon in our arsenal against depression and anxiety? Once we can understand that and kind of clarify that, we, we, we can draw motivation from it um, for the fight. So when I, when I talk to people about a program or about a strategy to try to get away from it, there's, there's four gets, G-E-T-S, that I try to encourage them to think about and try to incorporate into their struggle. So four gets. The first one is to get away. The next one is to get smart. The third one is to get help. And the fourth one is to get healthy. So I want to talk through those real quick so you understand what I'm talking about. The first one is to get away. So my first strategy is to try to get people to go for a month without looking at porn. And that sounds really simple, but we know that that a lot of habits 
are formed and broken over the course of about 30 days of consistent use or consistent um, ignoring of them. And so trying to get someone to stretch out their streak to a month is the first step um, in helping to identify some of the cycles at play and breaking through some of them. A lot of people think that this is the only step in the recovery process, and it's not because eventually we go through hard times in life. Uh, our brain chemistry changes. We go through different seasons and we get drawn back in. And so this is just the first step, um, but it helps us to kind of um, push out past the breakers so that we can actually actively work on the problem that we're confronting. And so some of this may be, some of getting away may require some physical boundaries, um, like not having a device with you in your, your bedroom late at night or uh, maybe um, not um, having certain devices that... Um, you know, just having open access to them. Um, some of it may require some technical boundaries. So setting up filters or putting a program called Covenant Eyes, which helps a lot of people on it. Or, um, you know, I, I have oftentimes when I work with people in my office, uh, we set up the very simple um, screen time filters on an iPhone that helps, really helps people get away for um, an extended period of time because they can't access it on their devices. And a lot of times what we're doing in that part of the process is we're just putting some speed bumps into um, the pathway between, you know, craving and response. And so if we can just slow down so that people can realize, hey, I'm about to I'm about to break my streak or I'm about to I'm about to go back to something that I'm actively trying to get away from, then maybe they can slow down and find an alternative, look for something else that's healthier to do, look for something to distract themselves um, uh, implement some other coping skills, but getting away is one of the first steps of breaking through this pattern. One of the other reasons for that is because the next step is to get smart. Um, when we're actively trying to break away from something that we're compelled to, we start to notice our triggers, we start to notice patterns, and we start to notice other um, aspects of those cycles that are at play. So we may see, hey, whenever I get sad and lonely, I do thing, I do this, and it makes me even sadder and lonelier, but I'm always tempted to do this. Or whenever I, my roommates are gone, I do this. Or whenever my spouse is, you know, angry at me or frustrated with me, I do this. We can learn more and more about our triggers. And throughout the course of the first stage of recovery, we're noticing those triggers and we're getting smarter. Get smart is the second step. So um, we learn more about our unique struggle, not what other people struggle with, but how it, it, it impacts us and how we get drawn back into it over and over again. So the more that we understand our struggle, the easier it is to find successful solutions for it. So this may be something good worth journaling about. It may be something that's worth tracking. Uh, I give, you know, in a program that I use, I give kind of a triggers worksheet that helps people identify that over the course of a couple of weeks. It's just a way for us to level up our understanding of our own specific struggle. Yeah. And, and the part of getting smart and uh, time getting smart and um, just getting away kind of together is recognizing those cues. Like if I notice that for myself, this is something that I do when I'm bored. <laughs> I yeah. can get smart and I can plan around that. Right. And not have my device around me when I don't have a lot going on or find some other healthy activities to make sure I do so that I'm not um, going to that device, looking at porn when I um, am bored, you know, so just kind of tying that together. No, no kind of the things that signal to your brain. I need something right now to help me feel better. Right. 
Right. And uh, we also in the Get Smart phase can notice different gateways. I talk to people all the time who were like, man, I was doing so good until I got on Instagram and I just kind of got lost following different people's profiles and was looking at people that I shouldn't have. And then all of a sudden I clicked over and I was looking at porn again or uh, TikTok is the same way. And so we start learning kind of where our gateways are, where we put ourselves in the danger zone. And that information and insight is priceless in learning how to fight against something that we're compelled to. And I probably sound like a broken record on this podcast for saying this over and over again, but extend some empathy to yourself for how you got introduced to porn in the first place. Yes. Because so many of us were exposed at a, a younger age than probably anyone would have ever have known. If you talk to people who have porn addictions, they're like, oh, yeah, I was exposed when I was five. I was exposed when I was I found grandpa's dirty magazines. I found, you know, like I yeah. upon this site, a cousin showed me this just really just kind of like naive introductions to pornography eventually can spiral into a larger problem. It's not the case that that happens for everyone, but have some empathy for yourself as to how that started. It's really easy when you're just scrolling around online to click on the wrong link and then find yourself down a rabbit hole of content that you were like, wow, how did I even get here? Yep. Yep. That's a very good point. I rarely hear people say the first time I looked at porn, I was actively searching for it. Usually it's just like, whoa, there it is. I can't really talk about this to somebody else. I've just got to kind of get, keep this as a secret or I know this is wrong, but I don't know what this is. And then it, you know, the, the, our odd relationship with it grows from there. And for some people it begins, you know, in that, in that secrecy, in that kind of hidden nature of it, it, it can culminate into a, an issue and a problem. So yeah, give yourself some grace. That's why, you know, this is a, this is an a, addictive model, not a moral model of understanding porn. We can't, we can't outshame porn. It is built on shame. It is, um, it is by definition involving themes of shame. So we can't outshame it. We can outsmart it and we can, um, we can grow stronger beyond it, but we can't outshame it. So yeah, as you're getting smart, as you're learning some of the triggers, um, love yourself well and cut yourself some slack there. The next step is going to also help us love ourselves well, too, because this is this is the part of getting help. And it doesn't necessarily just mean getting help with a counselor or professional, though um, a lot of times an, an issue with porn is integrated into other issues or other addictive issues that we have. But even when people come to me for counseling, I am encouraging them at certain steps along the way to get help with other safe and trusted people in their lives. I have found this to be helpful to understand in a nuanced way, because in the South, a lot of times we talk about accountability and our need for accountability. We need friends who can hold us accountable. And, you know, for Christians, it is important to understand the place of confession and accountability, but we often get it just a little wrong. And the just a little wrong part of it is what keeps us it keeps keeps even people who have the desire to change keeps them from changing. Um, confession oftentimes leaves people in a place where they may come and they may open themselves up about a failure that they've made, open them open up to other people about a failure that they've made, uh, and it may make them feel good at the moment. But because there's nothing practical that's changed there, um, a lot of times confession only works a time or two before people just find a new way to hide with this struggle. And so you may have been in that place in the past where you've shared this with a friend. Hey, I messed up. Hey, I got busted. Hey, I struggled with this. Um, but over time, 
uh, it's easier just to continue to hide and let the, let the struggle grow. So when I talk to people about getting help, I encourage them to seek areas of pre-accountability, not just accountability. So the difference is that pre-accountability is where we take our fight to other people, not just our failures. And so as we've gotten smart and we know about our triggers and our gateways and our danger zones and all these things like that, those are the things that we're taking to people that we trust, people that love us and that can handle this and people who want to walk with us through that. And so um, we may go and say, hey, my wife is out of town this weekend. I need you to ask me on Monday how I spent my time and, and what I did with my, my headspace over the weekend. Or, man, this is a terrible season at work. It's so stressful. I want to I want to make it through this season. And, and say that I've done it well. Can you can you check in with me and pray for me and encourage me over the next few weeks that I'll do this? And uh, one, it's a lot more effective that way. It gets us more motivated and more mindful about our struggle. But two, it's a lot easier for other people to meet us in that. And so, you know, a lot easier for people to to encourage us to say, hey, I want I want what's best for you. I want you to be the best version of yourself. And so um, a lot of times people have it's a lot clearer how people can help us than just listen to us, talk about what we did wrong and, you know, not hate us too much or not be too disappointed in us. And so um, in my in some of the information that I give people, I try to help people think through who in my life is, is safe enough to do this with, who, who can help me with this, and who can I share this with as a fight, not just as failures. And um, it may not be forever. It may be for a short season. It may be for a year or two. Um, and oftentimes, once people struggle through trying to identify somebody in their life that they can, they can invite into this pre-accountable relationship, almost every time somebody has gone and had this conversation with somebody, that person responds with, thank you so much for asking me. I have a struggle in my life too. Would you help me with this one? And it actually becomes like a real connecting point for people. And a lot of people experience friendship, especially people who struggle with, with porn issues for a long time. They experience friendships in ways that they haven't before because now things are out in the light and we're actually meeting real needs and having our real needs met. And so it's a beautiful thing. One caveat, a lot of people, invite their wife, their girlfriend, their spouse, their parent in to um, be their accountability partner. And if that if that happens, it only needs to be for a short term, because over time, those relationships get warped by the accountability process. Um, I tell people a lot, our, our spouses, our romantic partners, they need to be the beneficiary of all this work, not an active part of it. And because it just becomes easier to hide, it becomes harder to talk about, and it and it begins to impact other areas of intimacy. So that's a no-no. We gotta we gotta risk. We gotta reach out, and we gotta um, seek out areas of accountability um, beyond just those those intimate relationships because we want to protect them from that. And I guess too, I mean, we're not asking for that accountability from them, but if we do slip up. I mean, I guess there's a level of honesty that needs to happen there too, right? Where you're just sharing that with your partner. Hey, I just want to let you know I slipped up. Not for necessarily accountability, but for more just um, the reestablishment of trust in the relationship, right? We're working on maybe rebuilding that if porn has been a part of our relationship in the past. And that would be important too. Yep. Okay. So get away, get smart get help. And then the fourth part is to get healthy. And it's simple. We do not exist with a vacuum um, for very long in our life. So getting rid of something that's taken up space in our lives is effective, but it's, it's only 
permanently effective if we fill that space with something healthy um, that can take us take us forward. And so if whatever you've identified um, that the, the purpose that porn was serving in your life, whether it was a anti, something that helped with anxiety or something that helped with depression or something that helped with loneliness, we now need to seek out healthy things to help us deal with those things. So it may be working with a therapist on anxiety, depression. It may be seeking out new social circles to help with loneliness. It may be other coping skills, some new exercise regimen or habit or yoga or something that helps with um, some of those issues that are still there that still persist um, uh, because we've taken away something that good or bad we've used as a coping mechanism for a while. And so get serious and get intentional about adding healthy things in that space. So those are, those are the four steps that I usually use. And I've seen people um, really find ways to break away from porn struggles. Some people who've struggled for decades have been able to, to walk away from stuff once they've finally turned and broken through some of those cycles. So um, one thing as far as resources you should know is I put all that I've learned uh, in an online course uh, that's built on that framework. And it also includes journal prompts and some other activities that we didn't have time for today um, that's designed to give anyone who struggles the insight and information they need to overcome that struggle. Uh, I've, you know, for those hard conversations about pre-accountability, I've even added some scripts in there about how to walk and, and talk through some of those things with people. And uh, we'll put the link in the show notes for today so that you can access that course. Yeah, we've also found, too, that the Brain app, Brain Buddy, it can significantly help, especially in the early phases of addiction recovery. It helps users learn more about their own struggle, put together a streak of not using, and even connects them into some anonymous um, community for support. So we'll post that link in the show notes as well. And then also counseling. <laughs> we're counselors, so we're a little biased, but um, these are steps that along the pathway um, can really benefit some, some for, from some therapeutic healing, especially if your struggle is tied to abuse or other addictions or relationship wounds. Uh, you may also need help repairing a relationship that's been damaged by porn, so reach out if you need extra support for some of the challenging work that can exist here with porn addiction. And one last thing, Taryn mentioned this earlier, and this is something that I'm really con convicted of, is that we have got to protect children from porn, especially the ones that we're responsible for. I think one of the saddest parts of helping people with the struggle is learning about where it began for them. And a lot of stories are like what Taryn was saying a few minutes ago, that they just kind of stumbled upon it, knowing it wasn't good for them and finding themselves in a place where they were struggling alone for a long time before it finally came out of the light. Um, a lot of those stories can be preventable in our homes. And so if uh, now the kind of the rule of thumb is if you haven't talked to your children by the time that they're on a device about Internet safety, then you're behind the ball. If you haven't talked to your kids about sex before they're about eight, then you're you're kind of behind the ball. We really need to be having open conversations about that. And beyond that, we just need to figure out how to get filters on it to protect them from the internet. You don't want your kids taking on the whole internet, but that's what happens when they're on a device that doesn't have a filter on it. So the easiest way that, because a lot of people are intimidated by that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to outsmart my kids. The easiest way to do that is to go to YouTube and type in the device 2022 and parental controls. 
And there are a lot of people who have made very helpful YouTube videos for any device that you need. Like there's even Etch-a-Sketch. You can lock it down so that they can't access porn on the Etch-a-Sketch because they'll try. But they, you can lock it down and um, then you know that they can be safe. And more than that, more than just locking it down is to start a healthy conversation with them about um, how they can talk to you about anything that they see online, that they're not going to get in trouble for talking to you about it. Um, and just creating a dialogue around it. But first and foremost, we've just got to protect them from it. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe as part of that YouTube search as well, you YouTube ways to get around parental controls because I think the kids do that too. They, they talk to their friends or they figure out a way to crack the control and yep. so, so that you can be aware of that too, just to plan and prepare yep. them, you know, as well. So we appreciate y'all listening today. We hope you found this to be enlightening and informative. Um, But most importantly, if you're struggling, we hope that you find it to be helpful. And this modern struggle impacts so many people, but there's also a pathway out. And so try some of the methods we discussed today or reach out to us or a professional for extra help if you need it. And to connect with us, um, you can reach us at patwardcounseling.com or taryncooper.com. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.